Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, Texas, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. We're back here together after the long weekend. Did you enjoy yourself? Were you able to get outside? I know the snow started coming, but sometimes uh, that's a good time of year to, to get outside, to feel the air in your lungs, the blood pumping through your veins. I did a little bit of trail running myself, and I uh, let me tell you just a real quick story. You heard this morning there was a, a, a gentleman who fell through the ice, had to be rescued. Luckily, the word is that recovery is taking place right now. Uh, I almost found myself in a similar situation over the weekend. I was doing some trail running and I was going around a reservoir and the snow was fresh and I was the first one out. It obscured the trail and there was a moment where I found myself instead of on solid ground uh, but uh, on ice. And when I realized what had happened, I stood still it got pretty nervous and was able to turn around and very, very slowly retrace my steps until I was sure on solid ground again. But uh, it, you got to be careful. Be very, very careful with ice. It's no joke. It's a scary thing. And my uh, thoughts and prayers, of course, are with the gentleman who found himself in the water here today, rescued. Uh, so good luck to him and thanks to the rescuers involved in that. Anyway. On today's program, we're covering so much ground. We're going to, in a moment, talk about the vaccine. I, on Friday, had one of those moments I've described to you in the past where uh, these, like, emotions come over me to such a degree that, oh, my gosh, is is that a tear welling up? And it was when the alert came, I got uh, the tweet pushed uh, to my phone from KSL News Radio that there had been approval, emergency use authorization handed down by by the FDA in a, in a stunning, stunning announcement uh, that was so, so welcome, right? If you look over the history of uh, vaccine development, nothing has happened at this pace. Nothing, nothing ever in history at this pace or on this scale. And so when I uh, heard that wonderful news, I thought, well, you know what? Uh, it's time to dig into the source documentation. Yeah, you know, I, I bore you, I'm sure, by digging into uh, source materials and going all the way back to the original document. But I have done so, again, in this instance, and the letter I have here in front of me uh, was written by the FDA and delivered to Pfizer. And it is, uh, I think... It is a letter that will, uh, you know, someday in some wing of a Smithsonian museum that looks back on 2020, uh, that this will be one of the first exhibits you see. The framed copy of the letter granting to Pfizer the emergency use authorization. It reads, this letter 
again, drafted by the FDA, delivered to Pfizer along with BioNTech. Their letter reads, this letter is in response to a request from Pfizer, Inc., that the Food and Drug Administration issue an emergency use authorization for emergency use of Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine for the prevention of coronavirus disease 2019 for individuals 16 years of age or older and described in the scope of authorization of this letter. And then it goes through and ultimately, as you well know, makes the declaration that such an authorization is in fact warranted. And so it is today that in New York City, you saw the very first person to uh, receive an inoculation. First person in New York to receive the Pfizer COVID vaccine. A frontline nurse named Sandra Lindsay, who's been treating COVID patients since the beginning of the pandemic. Nurse Lindsay received the shot just before 930 this morning and just afterward implored Americans to continue to take precautions until everyone can receive the vaccine. Don't give up on the efforts that we have been engaging in in so far in terms of wearing our masks, social distance, believe in the signs. Just after receiving that vaccine, she talked about the suffering that she has seen brought about by the COVID crisis. I've worked on the front lines for months alongside my colleagues who worked tirelessly to put an end to this pandemic. And so this signifies a step in the right direction to end this pandemic. She talked uh, just following her receipt of the uh, the first vaccine in the state of New York. Again, this is a frontline nurse named Sandra Lindsay. She's been treating COVID patients since the beginning. She, uh, as she concluded her remarks following the receipt of the vaccine, she described what she has been through over the past nine months as something she'll never forget. It was an emotional experience working on the front lines alongside my team. Um, I saw a lot of pain, hurt suffering, death, and so I felt a huge sense of relief after I got the vaccine. In addition to to those words, we are also today hearing from Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar talking about uh, more locations to get the vaccine. These jurisdictions have given us the locations where they want vaccines shipped. In total, 636 sites nationwide with 145 sites expected to receive vaccine today. 425 tomorrow and 66 sites on Wednesday. Additionally, Surgeon General Dr. Jerome Adams, he this morning on ABC's Good Morning America talked about the vaccine and some of the enthusiasm that many may feel as we find ourselves, you know, on the receiving end of these vaccines. While we well know that 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 there are limited numbers of vaccines available right now. We need to keep that in mind and, you know, because <laughs> we do need to be reminded of these things from time to time. Uh, and when I say we, I'm at the front of that list. When I read the letter from the FDA and I saw that the vaccine was approved for emergency use, honestly, my first thought was, well, well that's it. Time to start booking flights. I need to get uh, back in the arms of my family. I need to introduce little baby Piper to to so many of her family members, aunts and uncles whom she has yet to meet. I was ready to jump back into the concert scene. I was ready to uh, start hugging strangers. Well, we're not there yet. Christmas, we'll still have to observe the safeguards. 
New Year's Eve celebrations will still need to be done while keeping in mind the safeguards that we've been practicing for some time now. Surgeon General Jerome Adams talks along those lines this morning. We still need to be careful uh, into the at least second quarter of next year because these vaccines were tested uh, with an outcome of severe disease, not a prevention of infection. So we don't know yet whether they will prevent infection. But we're going to get there. We're absolutely going to get there. Uh, what I'd invite you to do is I'm going to post a copy of this FDA letter on my Facebook page. If you wouldn't mind navigating your way over there, it's uh, Lee Lonsberry, and you'll see the live mic logo up in the corner. Uh, make your way there. Go ahead, click like, please, right? Be a friend of mine on the Facebook. And while you're there, I'd invite you to read this document. Uh, it's about nine pages long, but it is historic. It talks about uh, exactly how this authorization will work. It talks about the criteria through which the FDA passed to issue the authorization, the scope of the authorization. It describes the product. And if for no other reason other than to lay your eyes upon a historic document, I'd invite you to do that. So uh, you'll find a commercial break here in just a second. I'm going to post it up on my Facebook page. Uh, Have a look. Share it with uh, your your children. This is one of those documents I uh, wholeheartedly agree will find itself hanging in the Smithsonian Museum. All right, we've been talking about this vaccine, the emergency use authorization, which applies to the whole nation. Well, how about Utah specifically? We've gotten some updates. We've developed or we've uh, received uh, somewhat of an understanding of how the distribution will go. The latest word is that on Wednesday, on Wednesday, we could have Utahns uh, on the receiving end of this vaccine. I'm going to share with you some of what has been uh, stated by Intermountain Hospitals. Uh, four of the five hospitals receiving shipments today and tomorrow are uh, Intermountain facilities. We're going to hear from one of the doctors there in just a moment after the break here on Live Mike. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Live Live, live. with Lee Lonsberry. Welcome back. You heard Maria Chaleos there reporting on the great news here in the state of Utah that it will be Wednesday. If all estimates hold that healthcare professionals at Utah Valley Hospital in Provo will be on the receiving end of the first vaccinations against the COVID-19 virus here in the state of Utah. That is remarkable. That is absolutely remarkable. This morning, there was there were remarks rather, shared by those leaders at Intermountain Healthcare, the medical director, as a matter of fact, uh, the medical director of infection prevention uh, for employee health spoke. That is Dr. Kristen Dascom. Uh, A number of things were shared during this announcement. Let's start uh, with with the basic. Here, Dr. Dascom talks about, uh, well, just very basically looking forward to the to the administration of the vaccine. We are excited at Intermountain Healthcare to be able to offer this to our caregivers as a safe prevention from COVID-19. Now, what have they received thus far? Two of our facilities we know have received vaccine at this time. 
Utah Valley, and the LDS Hospital. And we anticipate that several of our other facilities should receive it either tomorrow or by the end of the week. Now, we have learned just there that Utah facilities have received the vaccine already. We also, as you heard me report in the last segment before the commercial break there, in New York City, healthcare providers are already uh, getting injections in their arms. In fact, as I sit here in the KSL talk studio with all these televisions showing me the various 24-hour news networks around the country, I can see individuals all around the country getting their vaccines right now. So my question, why wait till Wednesday? Dr. Daskam describes. We are waiting until Wednesday only because we um, need to be able to set up caregivers to be able to administer those vaccines safely. We need to have our caregivers sign up for appointments and have them lined up. As you know, the vaccine is only stable for six hours, so we want to make sure we have sequential appointments um, and all that all our caregivers are in line before we um, schedule someone to administer that vaccine. We also want to make sure we have a clean area to administer that vaccine and prepared caregivers to administer it. They've, that they've been prepared, that they've taken all of the trainings that are required. And so in order to ensure all of that is available to them, uh, we are going to wait until Wednesday evening to um, start our initial vaccination. Now, I'm no logistics expert, so I'm not going to give anyone a hard time for having to wait until Wednesday to get that sorted out while other areas of the country are able to administer that vaccine today. Uh, And so we'll just leave it at that. Wednesday is going to be day one, uh, it looks like, for Intermountain hospitals to administer the vaccine. Now, another big question, who? Who gets the vaccine first? We will begin by vaccinating caregivers with those who are the most highly at risk of exposure to the virus that causes COVID-19. These would include those who work on our COVID units, our ICU care doctors, nurses, technicians, those who work on medical units, those who work on our environmental services and deal with COVID-related waste, those who are in respiratory therapy who help others breathe more safely when they are sick. I would like to just kind of reiterate one of the groups that she mentioned in there. Uh, It is a group that I have uh, guiltily not thought much of until this group of healthcare professionals were brought to my attention here very recently. I have, you know, since the dawn of this challenge here in the COVID era, I have thought that, well, as of course, when we get the vaccine, it's going to be the doctors and the nurses, those who are on the front lines, the technicians, those who are in and out of the hospital rooms of those who are actually infected with the virus. And there's a group that I that I am embarrassed to say that I, I never considered. And so any opportunity I get to remind you of this group of medical professionals, it is the it's those folks who go in after the patients have left to clean up. The ones who are sterilizing the ho- the the hotel, the hospital beds, and the doorknobs, and the railings, and all of the contact points, and those who uh, find themselves, you know, face to face with what is left behind by this virus. All right, uh, th- those individuals. I-, I think any chance you get to to offer up some of their praise, I'd invite you to do so. And if you are, uh, say, the parent or the spouse or the sibling or whoever, uh, the friend of someone doing that kind of work, would you pass along uh, from me some thanks and, and offer up some your- some yourself? Anyway, I just uh, every chance I get, I want to remind folks of the good work being done by those uh, who do some of the more thankless jobs.
Now, uh, getting back to some of the remarks delivered just this morning by Dr. Kristen Dascom, Intermountain Healthcare Medical Director of Infection Prevention for Employee Health. The question was asked uh, of the doctor, will healthcare workers have to get it? We are not making it mandatory. Um, and so we have and we're just starting our process to invite caregivers to do so. All right. So not mandatory. Uh, we'll see, you know, what requirements are put in place. And then that kind of lends itself to another fascinating question. We won't get too deep into it right now. But the question of whether or not employers, say your boss or mine, can they require that their employees working on site receive the COVID-19 vaccine. That's a debate that's been playing out. Some employment uh, attorneys have been here on these airwaves to explain that, well, you see, there is a lot of room for employers to add employment conditions to the terms of, you know, your employment agreement. Short answer, yeah. Short answer, yeah. You uh, You might find yourself in a circumstance where your employer requires it. Now, the likelihood of that happening is low. There are very uh, there are very few instances of employers making requirements like that. So while the law does allow for it to happen, it historically has not been something very common. Think of the flu vaccine and others. And it is, at least in terms of the predictions of legal minds, not likely that we're going to see some rampant requirements put in place by employers. Anyway, uh, moving on. During the address today by leaders at Intermountain Healthcare, uh, specifically within the infectious disease programs there, we heard again from Dr. Eddie Stenium. Dr. Stenium, someone who's been on this program a number of times, uh, he, if I'm honest, has typically carried with him a tone of, I don't want to say doom and gloom, that's a little harsh, uh, but... He is the one you can count on to paint the picture of the worst case scenario. And so when I heard Dr. Stenium here this morning say that today signals the beginning of the end of this pandemic here in Utah. Again, Dr. Eddie Stenium, today signals the beginning of the end of this pandemic here in Utah. I knew when when that doctor... One who so often uh, paints the picture in the worst case scenario terms. Uh, when he has reason to feel optimistic, uh, my optimism was was even more bolstered. All of our lives have been touched by this virus. Some certainly more than others, but all lives have been impacted. Social circles have been disrupted. Schools have been canceled. Jobs have been lost. Loved ones have become sick or have died. And the mental health struggles of getting through this pandemic that has lasted over nine months cannot be overstated. However, today, we come to you with optimism and with hope. Today signals the beginning of the end of this pandemic here in Utah. We now have a new and effective tool to combat this pandemic. Dr. Stenium continued that even though we do now have a vaccine, we still don't know everything. There are a number of unanswered questions that still remain. We have a vaccine. It is on its way to find, to getting into the arms of all those willing to receive it. But we still don't know everything. There are still many, many questions as it pertains to this vaccine. How long will protection last? Will it prevent me from getting infected or will it only prevent me from actually getting sick from the virus? We won't know the answers to these questions for quite some time, and we will work with our leaders and with uh, the scientific community to get answers to these questions. In addition, other vaccines will come. 
Moderna vaccine will be evaluated by the FDA this week. Johnson and Johnson and the Oxford group are not far behind. Last on this, uh, from Dr. Stenium, he discussed during his time at the microphone uh, the Thanksgiving surge and that we luckily haven't seen it. We want to commend everybody for their efforts at Thanksgiving. We expected to see a very significant surge in cases after the Thanksgiving holiday. And we did see an increase in cases, but it was muted. And that is because of all of the public health measures that so many of you followed um, for the Thanksgiving holiday. Translation, we need to do this again. We don't have a broadly available vaccine quite yet. It's on its way, yes. But what we do know is that on the horizon, we have Christmas and New Year's. We demonstrated the ability to keep ourselves safe over Thanksgiving. Let's do it one more time uh, and then wait for that vaccine to make its way around into all of our arms. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, Texas, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. In just a moment, we're going to talk about the the methods that will be employed to distribute this vaccine once we get past the healthcare workers and those in long-term care facilities uh, and school staff. Uh, but first, I've got to share a tweet with you. Yeah, this uh, About six minutes ago, the University of Utah Police, at U of U Police on Twitter, uh, sent out the following. U of U alert. Mountain lion spotted in Red Butte Canyon around 1130 a.m. Use caution in the area. Uh, again, a mountain lion spotted in Red Butte Canyon uh, around 11:30 this morning. So about two and a half hours ago, uh, someone saw a mountain lion. Uh, listen, if you get uh, if you see that mountain lion, obviously stay uh, stay safe. And if you've got some uh, pictures or videos, I wouldn't mind you send them my way. Uh, anyway, mountain lion heads up Red Butte Canyon. That, according to University of Utah Police, about 11:30 this morning. Use caution in the area. The police department says. Anyway, the vaccine. I have, from the very beginning of the conversation surrounding a vaccine, been so curious about how it will be distributed. And I know that the the CDC and the respective organizational units within each of the states have come up with, uh, you know, distribution timelines, prioritization lists. And I understand that 100 percent. My question, though, continued uh, beyond and it led me to ask, how will we know? How will it be determined? How will someone demonstrate that they fit into one of these prioritized groups? Uh, for example, we right now know that it's healthcare workers. In fact, if you, if you, uh, <laughs> if you, sorry, I just got distracted by a texter said it was a BYU cougar spotted in Red Butte Canyon. <laughs> we, we, if you turn on right now any of the 24 hour news outlets, you are going to see a medical worker after medical worker on the receiving end of this vaccine. I think that, uh, is good for a number of reasons. First off, it shows, you know, that we are making progress here and that a vaccine is uh, being distributed. I think secondarily, what it does is it it shows those who may be, uh, you know, skeptical about the vaccine, who might be wary to receive it, uh, that there are, in fact, uh, you, you know, professionals, uh, folks who are working these front lines. I'm watching a young man uh, put on a lab coat right now after uh, removing it to expose his arm to receive a vaccine in his shoulder. 
A little bit of paperwork being done, and he's on his way. He's comfortable getting the vaccine. I'm comfortable getting the vaccine. We've heard from how many past presidents now who have said they'd be willing to be injected with the vaccine on camera in full view of you and me, Americans. Anyway, uh, getting back to the point I was making, we know that the folks who are highest uh, on the prioritization list, the healthcare professionals and those who are in long-term care facilities and teachers, those individuals, those individuals all are, we can identify them readily. Healthcare professionals, the high-risk folks, we know and have lists. Each of these hospitals has lists. They know who is working where. In the long-term care facilities, we know who is residing where. We know who is working where. We know what their conditions are. And in the classroom, we have rosters of teachers. But once we move out of that category and we start looking at, you know, members of the community who are of you know, higher risk, how, how does that person demonstrate to, you know, say the, uh, the distributor at Walgreens or wherever they might be getting that vaccine, how do they, how do they demonstrate that they are in fact, uh, you know, deserving of the vaccine at that time? Well, the reason I was so curious was I was so, so fearful of the potential for, uh, black markets to develop. If we were going to very thoroughly adhere to the prioritization list, then there would need to be some sort of test through which we would all pass if we were claiming to be in one of these categories. And if we were to successfully pass the test to determine that we were either, you know, high risk or a first responder or any other category, I presume that we might then have to be issued some sort of coupon or voucher. And I fear that those coupons or vouchers may ultimately lead to the development of a, a black market. Well, what I'm coming to learn lately is that there's a good chance that instead of having to pass through some test to determine uh, our worthiness, that instead, that it will be something of an honor system. Now, that, of course, has its upsides and its downsides. The unfortunate reality is that if it does, in fact, become an honor system, there will be those who are, uh, you know, say, young and able-bodied and healthy who may, you know, show up at some location and say, oh, yeah, no, I've got uh, I've got some kind of something. And I am at high risk. And they may uh, get a vaccine at a stage in the distribution where they might not otherwise deserve it. But. I am so glad that it is this way. I have confidence and I am optimistic that those of us, you know, who find ourselves in different categories, that we will respect the timeline and that we will only seek out a vaccine when it is our time to receive it. You know, if it's our decision to uh, receive a vaccine or not. Right now, uh, the young, healthy, able-bodied folks, uh, at least in terms of the coronavirus.utah.gov timeline estimates, sometime between March and July, 
sometime between March and July will all Utahns uh, have the ability to to receive the vaccine. I'm glad that it is looking like it will be something akin to an honor system uh, because I would so hate for there to be something to develop akin to a a have or have nots type scenario. There's some reports to come out from healthcare providers, those administrators and doctors at like private healthcare operations, some of these concierge type services that uh, are, are most often patronized by the, the very wealthy. Some of the accounts coming from those doctors are that as soon as this as soon as this pandemic really took hold and the need for a vaccine became uh, clear and apparent and progress looked like it was being made in the direction of getting a vaccine, some of these some of these concierge service type doctors said that they were receiving word from some of their more wealthy patients and clients asking, okay, how do I get, how do I get my place in line? How do I get ahead there? How do I, how do I skip the line? What's the price tag? Luckily, uh, luckily, those same doctors assert that there is no way to jump in line. That uh, no amount of uh, bribery is going to get you to the head of the line. And I hope that that proves to be true. Now, the highest likelihood is nothing will ever be proven. I just hope that uh, you and I and everyone around us, that we in fact do adhere to uh, the list as it's been laid out. So that those who are at greatest risk of you know, the serious, the most serious of consequences, we'll be able to avoid them. Anyway, my, my this is all sounding like a lecture, I'm sure, and I'm sorry, uh, but let me just put it to you in very simple terms. I'm going to wait my turn. I'm going to wait my turn. I invite you to do the same. It's likely going to be an honor system, and so there's plenty of opportunity to take advantage. There's plenty of opportunity to be dishonest. Uh, I beg you not to be. I uh, am going to promise to, to you and myself and my family that I'm not going to be, and uh, that's going to do it for Vaccine Talk here today. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.